Amen. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Let's give the Lord a big hand today. I want to welcome everybody watching online. I, I don't know uh, what the other campuses was experiencing, but I felt a little hot sauce on worship today. Did y'all did y'all sense that? I was asking Travis, I said, does it sound like the, does it sound extra loud coming from the, the audience? And it, it sounded like it was coming in from the speakers. Well, it sounded that loud. So I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I sense it. I know a lot of people are fasting and you're probably a little more intimate with God. Can I get amen? We are in our last week and I want to encourage you, um, take a moment today and ask God what he wants you to do the last week. Because you might have already pre-planned it. You know, I had my schedule uh, set out, and God said, no, I want you to do something different, and I want you to take it to another level for me. And so I want you to just take it day in and day out, because the reason we fast is to spend time with God and to hear his voice. So make sure you have him pre-program what he's supposed to tell you. Um, so spend some time today, and if there's anything in your fast that you want to get, and by the way, if you, if you haven't been here, we're on a 21-day fast, where it's two-thirds way, it ends next Sunday, um, make sure that you hear God tell you one thing he wants you to start doing new and stop doing. What is the one change? If you, st if you stop doing something, you got to start doing something another way. So if you do one, the other has to happen. So ask God, what do you want me to change? And what do you want me to start doing? What do you want me to stop doing? So don't go through the fast and be unchanged. That, that, that's not, we don't want that. You, if you spend time with God, something has to change when you meet God. Amen? And when the disciples were confronted by the Sanhedrin, they said, we, we, we perceive that you guys are untrained. But they said, we've been with Jesus. That's what, we, we don't have training. We got presence. And so you want to walk in the presence of God and have that presence change you. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand up. Let's all stand up. Every week we're going to pray for non-believers, people in your life, our lives, that we want to be saved. And if you want uh, to um, have us pray for somebody, you can just go to Next Steps and put their name in. It'll tell you go to Just One. Everyone say Just One. And we'll, we'll put the, their names on the screen. We'll start praying for them. But I want all, to encourage all of you to be thinking about, as we pray right now, thinking about someone in your life that needs Christ in their life. Can I, how many of you know somebody who needs Christ in their life? Amen. We want God to stir their heart and God to prepare them for when you're going to invite them to church or when you're going to share the gospel with them, when you're going to pray for them, whatever it is. Uh, and then if something happens in their life that they need God, that they call you. Amen. That they call you. They say, hey, man, I don't, I don't know who to talk to. Can you, I, don't even know where I, I don't even know why I'm talking to you. I just need help. And you're like, I know why. Me, we're going we're to pray. Amen? So let's all bow our heads. Let's lift our hands up. This is a declaration of putting our hands on them and declaring uh, God's blessing over them. Lord, we thank you for all these names on the screen. We thank you for their lives. We thank you for how you're speaking to them, preparing them to receive you as their Savior. We pray you prepare their hearts, speak to their hearts. I pray that when they're down and out, that they would look to you for help, and they would look to a person of God for help. And we pray for all the names of all the people that are watching right now in this room and all the campuses, whoever, whatever name they have in their heart, their friend, their family member, their neighbor, that needs Christ, we pray you prepare that person and prepare our hearts to reach out to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand.
Now, someone once told me you never pray for something that you can stay standing just for a minute. Don't sit down. Yeah, I'm thinking. I appreciate it. <laughs> never pray for something you're not willing for God to use you to do. Oh, snap. Don't be calling on me. I hope they get saved, but I ain't saying nothing to them. Okay, so, you, you, Lord, I, use me. Everyone say, use me. Okay, and one of the things he's going to use you for is to share the gospel with them. So we have the gospel in three different parts. We're going to share the first part today. This is the, the gospel context, the reason for the gospel. And so we're going to quote this a couple times. Let's put that up on the screen. Here we go. Can we get it here? There we go. Everyone see that? We're going to start with the word God, okay? This is the gospel context. We're going to start with the word God. On three. One, two, three. Hey, one more time. God created us in his image to live in a loving relationship with him. Pridefully, we rebelled against God and ruined the opportunity. Now, that's the first part of the gospel. That's why we need Jesus. So what I want you to do is turn to somebody near you that you don't know and say that to them. Oh, boy. You may be seated. So, just so you know, what you just did is begin a gospel conversation. So if I'm somewhere in a plane or in Starbucks and I'm talking to somebody and I want to start a conversation about God, I might say something like that. Hey, did you know? that God created you in his image to have a relationship with him. But, you know, we pri and he did that for all of us, and we pridefully pushed him away. We rebelled. We rejected him. And it ruined everything, our opportunity to have a relationship with him. Now, now after that, he sent Jesus Christ to reestablish that relationship. But you're practicing sharing the gospel, and you're practicing with people you don't know. Now, this is a safe environment. I can tell you I've done it a jillion, jillion, jillion times. The gospel does work in people's hearts. You don't have to worry about being eloquent. Just speak it. Amen? Amen. Okay. Um, turn to Luke chapter 15, please. Luke 15. Luke 15. Thanks for coming out the rain. Still raining out? Is it raining out? No? Good, good. We prayed that it would stop just for y'all, okay? <laughs> I want you to imagine there were 39 pieces of literature, books, legal books, science books, love story books, history books, war books, music sheets, Wisdom, poetry, uh, self-help books, fantasy books. Fantasy, when I say fantasy, I mean where the characters and the things people can do in a story, movie, book, whatever, uh, defy what we know as reality. People flying, two-headed monsters, that's fantasy, okay? So the rules of our reality, the scientific rules, um, they're broken, they're exceeded. So that's fantasy. So I want you to imagine 39 pieces of literature 
with all those different kinds of genres. And each, sometimes each piece of literature may have a combination of genres in it, or each one may be different. This may be poetry. This may be wise sayings. This is music. This is history. And I want you to imagine these 39 books were written over, or these pieces of literature were written over a thousand years. Obviously different authors, a thousand years. And then there was 400 years of no books and literature written. And then there were 27 different pieces of literature written on biography, uh, history, fantasy, horror stories, letters. Matter of fact, uh, uh, 13 of these are letters. And so these 20, 27 were written 400 years after the last one was written here. And then you would learn that these 39 pieces of literature all talked about in advance what these were going to write around. So the, all these authors that, this is 1,500 years, all these authors didn't know those authors. It was a different culture. This was one language. This is a completely different language. But what these people wrote about was a single message, and these authors all wrote about information that they predicted would be in these books and literature. And they didn't know each other. Well, that's the Bible. That's this book right here. The Bible has 39 books in the Old Testament. Everyone say 39. 39 books in the Old Testament. There's history books in the, about the history of Israel. There's prophetic books. There's fantasy about demons and, and things coming out of the sky. There's poetry. There's wise saying, wisdom, Proverbs. If you want to know wisdom, if you want to, how many of y'all want to get wisdom? Read the book of Proverbs. It has 31 chapters of wisdom, one for every day of the month, no matter how long the month is. Solomon asked God for wisdom, and God made him the wisest man ever to, to live, and he wrote a book. Well, I want to know that. Amen? And so, so in these books are the beginning of the world, the beginning of the Israel nation, the beginning of a religion that would bring into the world Jesus and tell us how Jesus would come, die, live, die, and, and rise from the dead, all written over here. And then 400 years went by and there was nothing written. And then these books, well, life happened. And from Jesus' life and the church being born, these pieces of literature were written. That's called the New Testament. So you have 39 books in the Old Testament. Everyone say 39. What's three times nine? Oh, come on. <laughs> three times nine is 27, homies. Man, man. Gosh, that's that second grade, boys. So say 39. Three times nine is what? 27. 27. So you got three, 39 books over here. This is the foundation. The Old Testament is the foundation to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you learn that there has to be blood sacrifice to be forgiven. Jesus shed his blood. In the Old Testament, you learn that the law, you have to be perfect, and yet we can't be perfect, so Jesus came to die as a perfect sacrifice. So the 39 books all talk about what the 27 books explain happened. These predicted those. This book called the Bible is the most fascinating book on the planet. I was watching a clip from uh, Trevor Noah. Y'all know Trevor Noah? He's a comedian, host, and whatever. And he was saying how his mom is a Bible scholar. And his mom, he says, my mom has been reading the same book for decades. And she reads it every day. She studies it every day. And she sends me a nugget every day about what it means to her that day. He says, I can't understand and believe how she could read the same book 
for decades and still be getting something out of it because it's from God. It's from God. And so today we're going to talk about reading the Bible. Everyone say 66. There's 66 books in the Bible. How many books in the Bible? How many books in the Old Testament? How many books in the New Testament? Very good. The Old Testament is the foundation to the New Testament. The Old Testament is the what? Say foundation. The Old Testament is the foundation to the New Testament. It was written over 1,500 years. How many years was it written over? By over 40 authors. Say 40 authors on three different continents. The reason I'm telling you all this is because there's no way somebody conspired in the back of the room to write this book to deceive people. God wrote it. He wrote it, in, he wrote it in temples. He wrote it in palaces. He wrote some in prison. He wrote some through people out in the wilderness. He wrote this book and put all this together with all these different genres. If you go to the store and buy a book and you go to the place and you go to the, um, the person at the counter at a bookstore, Barnes & Noble, and say, hey, I want to buy a book. The first question they're going to ask you is what kind? You want fiction, you want nonfiction, you want horror, you want fantasy, you want a love story, you want a novel. And you say, I want them all. You say, no, 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 you have to just get one. There is no book that has it all. Oh, snap, baby, you don't know the Bible. The Bible has it all. And by the way, it's the best-selling book ever, ever written in the history of the world. So my goal today is to encourage you to read it every day. This is the year that changed your life. This is the year that the Word of God changed your life. If you read the Bible every single day, I don't know what y'all read. I'm sure a lot of y'all are on, on social media. I would encourage you to fast social media during this fast. And by the way, let me step back for a minute. When you fast, for all y'all who are fasting, probably the biggest lesson you're learning is that you can say no. When I first fast, and it's true of this one as well, when I go multiple days without eating anything, just drinking water, and my mind is going, you got to eat. I said, no, I don't. And then my, 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 my daughter comes in the house with french fries, and I'm like, dang. <laughs> I'm like, nah, nah, nah. And you go, another day, no food, another day, no food, another day. And you go, I can say no. If you can say no to that, you can say no to that, you can say no to that, you can, say, you can say no to her, you can say no to him. So you learn to say no. Pay attention that you learn to say no. Okay, um, here are some benefits to reading the Bible. One, and we'll put that on the screen, lonely, feeling lonely drops 30%. How many of y'all would love to decrease your loneliness? Guess what? The Holy Spirit's with you. The Holy Spirit's right here. He's going, I'm right here. I can talk to you, I can hug you, I can encourage you, give you wisdom, give you vision, I can show you how blessed you are, and we're looking over here. <clears throat> when you read the Bible, you get to see the Holy Spirit. You get to understand the Holy Spirit. Uh, anger issues drop. How many of y'all know angry people? Okay, how many of y'all are angry because there was angry people in your life and you're mad that you can't get them out of your life? So, anger drops. Bitterness in relationships drop. Alcoholism drops. Sex outside of marriage drops. By the way, how many of y'all would love your spouse to be faithful to you? Okay, read the Bible with them. Uh, uh, for real, to read the Bible with them. Why? The more, they get the, the more the Bible's in their head and in their heart, when they start to go creeping, they're going to be like, eh. <laughs> more, chance, more chance they're, gonna, they're not going to do it. Spiritually stagnant will drop. You'll be more spiritually vibrant. Vo viewing pornography drops 61%. By the way, Sunday is the day most people uh, watch pornography is on Sunday. One out of every two guys and one out of every six women. And they usually watch it, I shouldn't say usually, 
often men and women watch it together thinking they're going to enhance their sexual life. It's destroying your ability to be one. And it's, it's destroying your ability to be intimate with that person. Okay? Uh, sharing your faith jumps 200% and discipling others jumps 230%. So here's my encouragement to you. Say take ownership. Take intentional responsibility. I'm going to read this book every single day. And what I want to do today is help encourage you to read and hopefully equip you how to understand it a little bit better in the next 15 minutes. Amen? Okay. Um, whenever you go to a movie, a movie is a, a perfect example of how the Bible is structured. And by the way, the Bible's not structured after the movie, obviously. It's the other way around. Because a movie and any show you watch on television is a narrative. The Bible is a narrative story of one Savior coming to die and save and redeem the human race. There's only one human, there's only one race, it's the human race. And the Bible is a narrative story of God's redemptive rescue of people. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This book, Genesis down here, the first book, and God created the heavens and the earth, and then he created man in his image to have a relationship with him. We just said that. And when he created man in his image to have a relationship with him, man had to make a decision. Am I going to obey God? and promote God's plan to glorify the earth and, and for us to rule the earth and glorify it? Or am I going to oppose God's plan? And so in every narrative story, there is someone who's God's friend. Say God's friend. Say God's friend. That's the person or people or group or even angels that promote God's plan. And then you have God's enemy. Say God's enemy. Say God's enemy. God's enemy or enemies or people or groups or demons that oppose God's plan. So in every story, there's someone who is a good guy in the movie or a bad guy in the movie. And in the movie, when you watch the movie, in the first, I think it's 12 minutes, they need to identify to you, you may not know this, but in the first 12, I think 15 minutes, they need to identify to you who the good guy is, who the bad guy is, and what's the tension between the two. The good guy is going to have some kind of thing he's trying to accomplish, somebody he wants to save or some uh, moral conflict he wants to overcome. And then the bad guy or bad thing is that which opposes him. And the whole movie is the good guy trying to get this done and the bad guy opposing him. And at the end, it's resolved. And, and the bigger the problem, the, the more exciting the movie. Well, here's, here's the thing, God, is that you have God created man in his image, man and woman. He says, you guys are going to rule the earth and have dominion. And there's going to be no sin. And you're going to be fruitful and multiply. And then the devil comes and says, hey, I got a different plan for y'all. And Adam and Eve decide to choose to be God's enemy and Satan's friend. And then God said, now I'm going to put together a plan that's going to be written in all these books of me trying to restore the heavens and the earth to the way I wanted it to be in the beginning. And that is exactly what's going to happen in the book of Revelation. And so all through the Bible, you have men and women that are either God's friend, that are going along with God's plan, or they're God's enemy. Moses and Pharaoh. 
Moses went to deliver God's people from Egypt. Pharaoh opposed it, opposed Moses, and, and all Moses had was a stick. Pharaoh was the, the king of all Egypt, the most powerful, educated uh, country in the world at that time. And Moses had a stick. Now, in all God's stories throughout the Bible, there is someone who's promoting God's plan and someone who's opposed to God's plan, and that's the conflict of all the stories in the Bible. And the problem, the conflict for the man of God or the woman of God is always way too big for them to accomplish. Therefore, in every story in the Bible, God is the hero. And not only is God in the hero in every one of these little stories, we'll get to in a minute, God is the ultimate hero in the end because at the end of the, at the, end of the day, only God can fix all the problems of the world. Can I get an amen? So what you're seeing in the world is all these people, you, me, governments, uh, nations around the world who are saying, I'm either for God or against God. Don't get it twisted. It's not about politics. It's not about money. It's not about science and vaccines and all. That's all, that's all a sideshow. It's all for real, but it is all part of a bigger plan to either oppose God because God has a plan that's going to culminate in revelation or promote God's plan. And so Moses and Pharaoh was a story in the Bible. It is a microcosm of the whole story. Moses and Pharaoh, Moses is one guy against the government of Egypt. And who wins? Moses, because God is the hero. God sends down 10 plagues. He opens the Red Sea. They walk around. Miracles. Uh, David and Goliath. David is another story. One little kid against a giant with an armor bearer. The guy's nine feet, nine inches tall. David's a little kid. All he got is a rock. So it's a, it's, there's always a disadvantage to God's people because God has to be the hero. So if you're facing something now, how many of y'all facing a trial right now? You're facing, a, yeah, why? Because you're in the narrative yourself. Your life is a narrative. And every time you come up with a problem, God's saying, are, are you going to trust me? And the devil's saying, are you going to trust me? That is happening every single day. When someone curses at you, are you going to trust God or are you going to trust them? Whenever you have a trial, whenever you have a difficulty, the difficulty or the trial is not the trial. It's how you respond to the trial. And so if you lose, if you get your car stolen, it's a car. That's not the issue. The issue is how do you respond? Do you respond in a way that promotes God's kingdom? Or do you respond in a way that opposes God's kingdom? I remember years ago, uh, 25 years ago, I got my car stolen at church. Before we started to rock, I was at another church preaching on a Sunday night. I came out before service and my car was gone. At church, it got stolen. So, so, so God was like, what you gonna do? I was like, I, I gotta go preach. So I'll I, I go preach, I'll deal with it later. So I went and preached and I came out and my car was back. The cops got it. From the, minute, the beginning of the service to the end of the service, God got the car back. Now, But even if they didn't bring my car back, even if I didn't bring my, the, the point was not the car. It was like, are you going to respond in a way that promotes God's plan or opposes God's plan? So all throughout the Bible, whether it's the historical books where Moses was, whether where it's the hist, I mean uh, the, the 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 law where Moses was, the historical books where where uh, David was, or the prophetic books, all the prophets, one guy against the king. Jonah sent to Nineveh, and he, Jonah runs, and God says, you're opposing me, and he throws them off the boat in the, in the sea, and a whale swallows them and, and spits them out. And it's like, God said, no, I'm going to fix this my way. God is always the hero. Say, God is always the hero. 
Say, God is always a hero. So as a side note, whatever you're going through right now, God has to be the hero. I'm going to say that again, then I'm going to pause. Whatever you're going through right now, if you are going to be God's friend and promote God's plan, God has to be the hero. So you do whatever he tells you to do and don't do any more in that situation and let him take care of it. Now, what does this all have to do with reading the Bible? Because when you read the Bible, you need to ask yourself, who's promoting God's plan? And who's opposing God's plan? Or how does reading these Proverbs help me better promote God's plan? How does reading the Psalms and the prayers in the Psalms and the songs in the Psalms help me be a better friend of God? By the way, a friend of God is someone who obeys God. The Bible says Abraham believed God in the Bible and God called him the, and he was called the friend of God. James 4.4 says that if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. So if you're a friend of God, you obey God. If you're a friend of the world and opposed to God, you're his enemy. And so whenever you read anything in the Bible, the question you've got to ask yourself is, in this bigger story that God is unfolding, and he is coming back, he is going to rule on earth, and he is going to judge the, 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 the righteous, uh, the righteous and, and the unjust and the just. He's going to do that. That's going to happen. So no matter who's president, no matter what, who wins what war, there's like 30-something wars going on, no matter what, if, it's, if all your money goes in digital and they give you the market of make you get the mark of the beast. Whatever all that happens, at the end of the day, my man is coming back to rule the heavens and the earth and it's going to be all fine. Okay? That's what you know. So the question you have to ask yourself is, how do I access all this information to find out how other people did it? How do I learn how, how God responded when people repented? How do I learn how God responded when people rejected him? How do I learn how God responded when people were sad? It's all in the book. And so what I need to do is every time I read the Bible, God, help me understand how I can better obey you and be a better promoter of your plan and not be like the people who don't. And when you read the Bible, you're going to see what happens to the people who reject God. They always lose. You're looking at people at your job and they're cheating, lying, cheating and stealing. You're looking at your friends sleeping around and it ain't nothing happened to them. Not yet. Not yet. I'm older than most of y'all. So I, I've seen it, seen it. It never works out. Sin never. If, if, if sin paid, God lied. The Bible says the penalty of sin is death. At some point, you lose. It's not going to work out. So even if, if you, I, I imagine a crowd this side, there's a whole bunch of scandalous stuff coming on in here. <laughs> Can I get amen? Yeah, they see those people right there. They'll tell you what they did last night. Those people who just said amen. <laughs> there's a whole bunch of scandalous in here. And, and, and trust me, it, at the end of the day, it's not going to work. So now we're in turn to Luke chapter 15. After all that. Where are we going with this? This is a story in the Bible, and it is a simple story that mirrors this story. There's going to be somebody who represents God, and whether a person in the story is there to represent God or not, he's still implied. And then there's going to be people who are either going to be God's friend and obey God, or God's enemy, or both. All of y'all are in a narrative. All of y'all, all of us, are either 
God's friend by obeying him or God's enemy by opposing him. That's it. Those are the only two options. And if you say I'm going to be neutral, that means you're God's enemy. You're either for him or against him. And when you read the Bible, you are reading to get fed so you could be better for him than against. And so you ask the question, how is this making me more like Jesus? Now, in this story we're going to read, there is a man who's a father. He has two sons. He's a wealthy man. He has servants. And his sons, they got resources. And one son says, I'm going to go take my money and hang out with the honeys. <laughs> the, the other son, does, he stays home. He's, the, he's a good boy. He wants to stay home and honor his father. And then the son who left is going to come to himself and go, what? am I thinking? Look what it says in verse 17. It says, when he came to himself, how many of you have you ever been in a room with people and you're doing whatever you're doing? Room is full of smoke and people blah, 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 whatever it is. And you just like have a moment and go, what am I doing here? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, don't raise your hand on this one. You ever wake up next to somebody and go, well, who is that? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm saying, right? It's it's just that moment where you think, what am I doing with my life? That's what this dude did. He went out. His father had servants. He had money. He was living large. And then he said, I'm going to take my inheritance and go party. And then he comes to himself. He says, he came to himself. He says, how many of my father's servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no longer to be worthy called your son. Make me like one of your servants. So here's a guy. He's living large. He goes out, thinks he can do everything his way, not his dad's way. And then he ruins his life and says, I'll just be a servant. That's us. God has blessed us so much. And we think, I don't need God. I can do my own thing. I don't don't need to go to church. I need to read the Bible. I ain't going to be serving nobody, no tithing. I ain't serving nobody. I'm going to do my own thing. And you go out there and you're out there, think you're having fun. And it may feel good. Trust me, it feels good here every now and then, blah, blah, blah. And then you hit rock bottom. And you go, where do I go? My life's a mess. That's that. Here's the good news. Is that the Bible tells us that the God who wrote this story, it's a love story. That he loves you. And he wrote this story to tell you over and over and over again that he loves you. And that whenever you want to come back and repent, he will accept you like that. Because look what happens. It says, verse 20, he went and rose and came to his father. But when he saw he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. His father was looking for him. He saw him coming. God is looking for you. There's some of y'all sitting here right now we have never met. And you know that I'm talking directly to you. I hear it all the time. It's not, and it's not that I have some magic because I don't. It's the Spirit of God talking to you. I ain't talking to you. I don't know you. Don't want to know your business. It's really the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but God is saying to you, I know you. I know where you were last night. I know where you were Wednesday. I know you wanted to kill yourself on Thursday. I still love you. I'm looking for you. And look what it says. 
It says, verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer be worthy to be called your son. The father said to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and he is alive. He was lost and he is found. Then they began to be merry. You know what the Bible says when one person repents, they cheer in heaven. Let's give a big hand for the cheer in heaven. Amen. This is a love story of God saying, I love you. I made you for something way better than what you have. And if you stray from me, your life is never going to work out because you were created for me. How many of y'all do not have kids? Raise your hand if you do not have kids. When you have kids, it's the first time your heart lives outside your body. And you're going to go through an experience of wanting so bad to just put truth in your kid's head. Here's all the decisions you want to make, and here's all the decisions you don't want to make. And then one day God's going to say to you, you need to let them fall. Turn over. I've been there. And they need to see it for themselves. But God is there. This story tells us he will never let him go. This guy strayed out and he came back. And then it says in verse 25, his oldest son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music dancing. Yeah, right on time, my brother. <laughs> that also means I'm almost done. <laughs> so he called one of the services and, and asked what these things meant. The oldest son, he said, my brother your brother has come because he has received, and because your dad received him safe and sound, your father has killed the calf. And his brother was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with his other son. He said to his father, all these years I've been serving you, you never I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, yet you never gave me a goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, ah, not his brother, as soon as this son of yours came home who devoured your livelihood with harlots, who said he was with harlots? That's probably what you would have done. You killed the fatted calf, and he said, son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, but your brother was dead and is alive and was lost and is found. This is the story of the Bible. God the Father has all of us, and he loves us. And he says, all that I have is yours. I want to bless you. Just live with me. And it is, sometimes we do what the son does. We say, ah, I'm good. I'm going to do my own thing. Fine. But at some point, hopefully, you come to yourself. Hopefully, you pray for your people, your friends who don't know Christ. Just pray that they come to themselves. Here's a perfect example of how to use the Bible. Lord, I prayed that verse on my friend. That they come to themselves. And when they repent, God will receive them. We're going to do that here in a minute. God will receive you right now. He loves all of you. But there's the other son. 
He's been in church all his life, being a good boy, going every Sunday, got his Bible and his suit. And he's like, and as soon as his son, his brother, who goes out there and jacks his life up, comes back, he gets jealous. Ah. There's that church person. They're in church. They got the look, but they don't have the heart. He says, son, yeah, you've been with me all these times, but how come you don't have my heart? See, it's one thing to be in church. It's another thing to do church things. It's a whole other thing to have the heart of God. See, this is not a religion. This is a, a, a relationship. God created us in his image for relationship. Everyone say relationship. And if we have relationship with God, that means we think like God, we love like God, we forgive like God. The other brother should have been excited. And so in a minute, I'm going to pray. And there's two groups of y'all. There's some of y'all like the first son. You, you've walked away from God. And then there's other y'all, y'all are kind of going through the motions, but there's no fire in you to obey God, to honor God, to glorify God. You're just going through the motions and you want that fire. Everyone say fire. You want that fire to burn in you. And so before I pray, let me say this. As you read the Bible, and we're going to give you a reading plan in a minute, but as you read the Bible, ask yourself, how am I, how is this helping me be a friend of God? Who in the story do I relate to? Or what, how does these Proverbs help me be a better friend of God, a promoter of his plan? What is his plan? What's my role in the plan? Because all of you have a role in this story. All of you have been gifted for a specific role in this story. You have a place in the puzzle. And that's your lifelong journey is to discover that. Because if you're just walking around life doing, doing your job, reading and trying to be good, that's not what he wants you for. It's so much bigger than that. He wants you to get in this story because it's going to end. It has a pur- you have a purpose. And so I'm going to ask all y'all to bow your heads and close your eyes and, and listen very carefully. Lord, um, As we look back on our life for however old we all are, we all have different number of years behind us. We probably can identify people in our life who are God's enemy. They subtly drew us away from you. And then we can probably be remember some people who were your friends. They challenged us spiritually. They prayed for us. They taught us. They deposited something positive in our life that we can be more like you. So we need to decide, are we going to be a friend promoting your ever-evolving story, your ever-developing narrative? Or are we going to be part of the other side, your enemy, promoting the devil's plan to distract your story and the implementation of your story. In the end, you win, so there's no need to even think about what's the better side to be on. And as you sit in your seat, you realize that you may not be the best friend to God you should be. Let me encourage you to start reading the Bible every single day. And ask God to reveal to you how to be a better friend, how to be more obedient, how to be a positive contributor to the narrative. 
And this may be the day that you say, Lord, I want to make a public declaration of my commitment to you. I want to surrender my life to you. I want to reestablish my relationship to you like the son who walked away then came back. I learn in this story that you receive those who repent. So if you want to be like the son who came back to God and said, Lord, Dad, please forgive me. Even if you didn't walk away and waste all his goods and, and live a crazy life, but you've just been kind of stagnant and you want to make sure that you are on fire for God. I just want you to pray this prayer with me in the privacy of your heart. Pray, dear God, I want to be your friend. I want to be like Abraham who believed you, had faith in you, and was called a friend of God. Please forgive me, Lord. I repent of how I've been living. Please fill me with the Spirit of God. Fill me with a passion for the Word. Fill me with a desire to pray. Fill me with the courage to share my faith. I want this year to be the year it changed my life. I want this year to be the year that the Word changed my life. As eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, in a minute I'm going to ask you to stand up if you prayed that prayer. And by praying that prayer, you are saying, I'm walking away from yesterday. And I'm walking into my future. A new man, a new woman, and a new commitment. So eyes closed, heads bowed. If you prayed that prayer, just stand to your feet on stand to your feet on three. One, two, three. Just stand to your feet. God bless you. 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 Your prayer team, come on down. Now as you stand, I'm going to ask all y'all just to come forward and pray for you. Come out of your seat. Come on down to the altar. Let's give them a hand as they come on down. Amen. If you're in the balcony, just walk up and walk around. They'll bring you down. Walk up and bring them around. Come on down. Let's give them a hand. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, church. The Bible says, well, one, one, one. One, one.